Well, good morning, Shawnee Baptist Church. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you're watching this, thank you for taking a few minutes just to join us online. We're going to go to Scripture in Matthew chapter 6 as we're back in the Sermon on the Mount and finish that chapter. But before we do, I want to pray together, and there's a couple of things that I have to share. I wanted to share about Keith and Debbie Jones, our missionaries in northern Italy, because there's some exciting things that God is doing even in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, and I wanted you to be encouraged with testimony of how God is at work. Keith let us know this week that on Thursday he had the chance, he was invited to go to Cremona, which is a town that's just 45 minutes from where Keith and Debbie are in Milan, but Cremona is where Samaritan's Purse has set up its mobile hospital. And Keith is friends with one of the chaplains, one of the primary contacts that is a past, he's a pastor there in the area where Keith is in Milan, but he's been spending a lot of time at the mobile hospital in Cremona. And as a chaplain, he gets a chance to look for evangelistic conversations and even pursue them, both with patients and with some of the staff and volunteers. Uh, there's interpreters that are there. A lot of these are medical students that are paid, and it's their job to be there to translate between the patients and the volunteer doctors that have come in, the Christians that have come in from around the world to help care for some of these medical needs. And a lot of these interpreters are medical students, and many of them atheists, and there's been exciting testimony of, about how even these uh, interpreters, as they're watching the atmosphere, as they're learning, seeing the Christian doctors at work, and they're care and concern, and of course the intensity of the crisis that they're in, their worldviews are changing, and there's uh, spiritual conversations that they're open to with the chaplains, and so this has been very exciting to see as Keith talked with his friend uh, about some of the doors that God opened. This is, what, this is what the chaplain had to say to Keith. When you talk to them about the hope that is available in Christ, people lock on to what you're saying. People actually listen to you. And Keith said that that was highly unusual uh, in Italy for anyone, uh, strangers especially, to be interested in conversations about spiritual things. They're used to people just only listening with civility, uh, tolerating talk about God. And yet this situation is, is changing people's worldviews and making them open to conversations that they wouldn't have been open to otherwise. So we want to keep praying for them. Uh, the, part of the reason Keith was there was to pray with other leaders about what's next in Cremona. Uh, they, believe, they don't believe there's a good faithful gospel witness in the area, or certainly not a church that's healthy. And so they're trying to think, now that there's been these professions of faith, as God is at work there among some of the hearts, what, what do the next steps look like? And so we want to be praying for them. We'll take time to pray for them this morning. Um, I want to share one more piece of news, and this one's heavier, harder for us as a church to hear, and yet we as a church want to trust God even in the middle of it. We've been praying some time for Pastor Kevin's father, and on Friday night into Saturday morning, in the middle of the night, Kevin's father passed away. And so we want to be praying for Kevin and Jackie, for Josh and Ella. Kevin has two brothers and their families, and we'll pray for them as they go through this time of grieving. We know that as a church we've been praying for some time. Kevin's father has been in hospice, and they knew that the end was near, and yet certainly this is a difficult time with the uh, quarantine-type situations that we're in for a family to grieve and even be able to appropriately go through the memorial time uh, end of life. 
logistics that have to be worked out, and so we want to be praying for them as a family. I spoke with Kevin today about how, how to share the news with you as a church, and he asked me to share it with you here on video so that we could pray like we usually would. And so that's what, that's what we'll do as a church, is spend some time praying for Kevin and his family, praying for the gospel advance, not just in Italy, but even here uh, in our area through this quarantine time praying for us as a church body and asking that God would work even, even as we go to scripture this morning and spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we lift up our friend, our brother, our pastor, Kevin, and we ask, Father, that you would encourage him and his family as they grieve. We thank you for the life of his father. Father, we pray that you would show yourself as good to Kevin and his family, to Jackie and to Josh and Ella. Would they remember your goodness? Would, would the hope of the gospel bring encouragement to them even during this time and be with them as a family as they, as they walk through these days? Father, we are thankful to hear testimony of what you're doing on the front lines with the gospel in Italy. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that Keith had just to, to share and to witness and to pray with other leaders as they dream, as they brainstorm, as they think about what the future might look like. For these that have made a profession of faith in Cremona, and Lord, we ask that you would bring fruit to their faith, that you would strengthen them, that you would bring other believers into their lives to encourage them even at this time. Father, please keep working to open hearts and soften hearts for the gospel, not just in northern Italy, Father, but but here in our backyard as well. Lord, we know that there are many who are hurting, who don't have hope, who are wondering about you, and we pray that even through these situations that you would be drawing people to yourself with the gospel and allow us as a church to be involved in that for relationships that our members have built through the years. Would you, would you allow some of them to be... Um, watered and harvested and more additional gospel seeds planted as, as our people seek to reach out and encourage and show Christ's love in the world around us. Father, would you open doors for the gospel in a way that only you can. Lord, we do pray for the members of Shawnee Baptist Church at this time where we're separated and not able to be together as we would like. Would you encourage us with the hope of the gospel? Encourage us through your scriptures and our time with you. Father, would you help us as a church to care for one another and see the needs of this body and our surrounding community met in ways that only you can accomplish through your spirit and by your word, we ask and pray. Father, as we go to scripture now, as we see the words that Jesus has for us, encourage us, uh, allow us, allow our hearts to be shaped and molded by the truth of Scripture. We ask and pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you take your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25 and go to the end of the chapter. And here's what Jesus says as he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, so, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. What does it say about you and I when we are worried? What do our fears tell us? What do they reveal to us? If you were to try to list out your fears, have you ever tried to, to make a list of things that people are afraid of? It's, it's almost an endless list, not just the things you're afraid of, but the things that anybody might be afraid of, whether you're afraid of spiders, whether you're afraid of water, cats, dogs, dark. Uh, there's so many things that you might be afraid of. If you were to try to think back over the last week and the things that make you anxious, the things that make you worried, if you were to try to categorize them out, if you were to try to list them, if you were to try to take all of the things that cause you anxiety and worry, and if you were to put them into two categories, uh, on the one hand, the things would be, uh, the, the two categories are two kingdoms, two realms, like we've been talking about a few times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But on the one hand is the realm or the kingdom of self, things that are related to your, your own life, maybe your own health, your own wealth. This, these would be all the things, your own reputation. These are the things that are related to, to your life and your kingdom. Or the other would be, these are the things that are related to God and his kingdom. How often do you find yourself worried for the things of God's kingdom, that his name would be honored? that his name would be holy, even as was said in the Lord's Prayer earlier. Do you ever find yourself worried that God's reputation might be at stake? Or are you more often worried about things that, that could go wrong in your own kingdom, related to your own wealth, related to your own life, related to any of number of things that you would put into your your own circumstances, the here and now of today in your life. If you can think of that distinction, I want you to hold on to that because as we go through scripture, I think there's some helpful thoughts that Jesus has for us that help, help reveal to us what, what our fears tell us and what we learn about them, especially as it relates to the theme that Jesus has been on to this point in the Sermon on the Mount. So when you come to verse 25, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So how many of you find yourselves anxious, find yourselves worried, especially at a time like this, when our, when our world is turned upside down, there's uh, just a general sense where we acknowledge there's, a, there's an increase in uneasiness, an increase in worry, an increase in anxiousness, 
And Jesus comes in, he's going to have some helpful words of instructions. He, he, he makes it clear that he doesn't want his followers to be anxious about their lives. He, he, he says, listen, isn't life about more than just your own life? Food and drink and clothing of the body. And, and, and if you think about it, how many things in life consume our attention, consume our devotion, cause us angst and worry that are just related to the here and now of, of this life, of the body, of, of uh, food and clothing and what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear, you will notice that 2,000 years doesn't change the human heart a lot. If you were to pick up any kind of magazine that dealt with advertisements. If you can remember all the way back to eight weeks ago when corporations were spending money on advertisements and you saw them, how many of the advertisements are speaking to food and drink and clothing? Not only are these basic necessities of life, but they, they're also social markers. They, they buy a certain kind of food and clothing and drink, you associate yourself with the right group, right? There's a difference between the types of clothes that you wear based on your wealth and status. And so not only do we all need to eat and drink, but if you're able to eat and drink at certain places, certain restaurants of a certain quality, well then it says a lot more about your life. At least that's what these advertisements are trying to tell us. And especially if you're able then to take capture photographic evidence of this and put it out for the world to see on social media. But the world hasn't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. And Jesus was speaking to people who were also consumed not just about basic needs of the body and food and clothing, but also perhaps about some of the associations that went along with those of living the good life. Everybody remembers Solomon and how great his clothes were, how great was the food that was at a king's table and later Later on, the passage is even going to speak of Solomon's clothing. But Jesus comes in, he says, listen, don't, don't allow yourself to be anxious over this life. There, there's more to life than just what you can see in the here and now, the things you eat and drink. And why was Jesus concerned about this? And why did he not want his people to be anxious about this life? Well, then he gives some illustrations that help us understand. If you look at verse 26 and then verses 28 and 29, there's two illustrations that Jesus gives that kind of go from the lesser to the greater argument. Jesus points out both birds and flowers and says, listen, if these things that are even comparatively speaking of little value and God cares for them, well, certainly God will, will he not care for you in that you are of much more value? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And, and then verse 28, he, he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies. Look at the flowers. Jesus, Jesus tries to capture attention to whether these are wildflowers or what they might be. And he says, look, look at the beauty in the way that they are taken care of. Not even Solomon, who would have been well known for the finest linens and the finest clothing and the purple robes, but, but not even he was clothed with the same kind of glory. And, and Jesus wants us to understand, listen, the, the flowers and the grass, it's here today and gone tomorrow, and yet God provides for them. So certainly we shouldn't be anxious because we're of more value than they. 
In verse 27, Jesus uses another argument, and he says, listen, does, does worrying even accomplish anything? Don't, don't be worried because does it even make a difference? And that would certainly be true when we think of the things that cause us anxiousness, when we think of the things that make us worried. Are we able to change the outcomes? Well, no, we're not. And that's Jesus' point. He says, you're not able to add any length. He's probably not making a statement about actually making someone's height taller in stature. He's saying, can you add any length in the life of someone's life? Can you add even one extra hour or one more unit of time? Well, well, no, it doesn't change anything. And so Jesus doesn't want us to be anxious and worried. And this is then what Jesus says as he brings it to a conclusion. He says in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Jesus comes to his followers. He's speaking, he's speaking, helping people understand this is really what it looks like. Throughout the sermon, he's been building a contrast uh, between the way that the followers of Jesus need to look. True followers of God have a different kind of righteousness, and, and there's something that's characteristically different about their lives, not, not just about their actions, but even about their attitudes and their motivations. And Jesus knows that his true followers, when their lives are marked by the right kind of faith, they won't be caught up in being worried about this life and the body and clothing and food and drink. And that won't, won't be what causes them anxiety. And Jesus turns to the birds of the air and to the, to the lilies in the field. And he says, here, look at these. Does not this teach you about my love and care for you? So why would you be concerned? In commenting on the birds and on the lilies, we've got uh, a couple of quotes here. Martin Luther said it this way. You see, he is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore you are listening to an excellent preacher. It is as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. Speaking of the lilies of the field, C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, Lovely lilies, how ye rebuke our foolish nervousness. Certainly there is truth and comfort in these times where we find our, our anxiousness heightened, where, where so much has, we have lost so much control that we at least thought we had. And now so many events more recognizably to us, we say, well, we're not in control. We don't have a certain future. And yet there is great hope and comfort, even by looking, looking at nature and creation around us and saying, look at the way that God provides and cares for creation. And certainly we are of much more value. And so there is a great hope, even in recognizing that. Perhaps some of us would be... Um, 
encouraged to spend time this week looking at the birds, whether you have a bird feeder, listening to the birds, walking through your neighborhood and seeing the flowers and saying, yes, this, this is my God. He has not, this virus did not take him by surprise. His plans have not been changed. Uh, he is still in control and he's working out his plans and purposes. So I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I can focus on today. What, what is Jesus' point and why is he trying to help us understand this? There is great hope and encouragement in what I just said, and yet I don't think that the primary reason Jesus was giving us this teaching was to address our fears. Um, I struggled for a long time as I was trying to study this passage and understand what it meant. Why was Jesus saying, if you look in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The implication is, is that God feeds the birds, God clothes the lilies, and so we shouldn't be worried about those things. If we seek first his kingdom, God will then give us the clothing and the food. So, but if we stop and acknowledge there are times where people starve to death, there are individuals in the world who, Christians even, who do not have sufficient clothing. Christ himself died at a very young age. Scripture says he had nowhere to lay his head as he went through his life. And so what is it that God was trying to teach us? What was he saying to us? Why does God seem to indicate that he will take care of every one of our needs when we know there are people who, who don't have sufficient food? What is it that God wanted us to learn? I think part of my struggle in understanding this was the, the, only, the, the most frequent time that I've heard this passage of Scripture taught in the church today, it's devoid of the context where we find it in the book of Matthew. Remember, um, I think usually when I came to this passage of Scripture, it was as if I just started in verse 25 thinking, the reason these verses are here is because God doesn't want his children to be anxious, and so here he uses the birds and the flowers as an illustration of why we should never have to be worried about this life. Now, it's true that God doesn't want his children to be anxious. That why, that's why he continually promises his presence. He says, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Your God is with you. And yet, I don't think Jesus' main point was to calm our fears so that we would never be anxious. Remember the context throughout all of chapter 6. Jesus has been teaching his followers, be very careful if you're living for the praise of man or also if you're living for the possessions of man. Jesus does not want his followers' attentions to be divided. In fact, he ends in verse 24 after starting in verse 19 of chapter 6 saying, don't store up treasures in, on this earth where, where moth and rust destroy and corrupt. Instead, you need to store up treasures in heaven and he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Remember when we went through this a few weeks ago, we said that really a, a better translation for that word money, though money is certainly included, the word is mammon. Uh, it's this idea of things, possessions, stuff. 
Jesus is saying, look, your hearts and loyalties can't be divided. You cannot serve both God and all of your things and possessions and stuff. That's why verse 25 says, therefore, it's a point. It's the logical working out of everything Jesus has just said. And if Jesus doesn't want his followers' loyalties divided between both God and stuff, he wants them to be holy entirely, exclusively. God, God wants us as his followers and as his children, as citizens of the kingdom, as those who follow the king, God wants our hearts devoted to him and him alone. And therefore, when we're anxious about our life and our body and our clothing and our status and our possessions, and when those are the things that are worrying us, it's betraying the fact or it's evidence of the fact that God himself does not possess the rightful place that he deserves. And therefore, in verse 30, uh, we would have a deficient faith or a little faith. Uh, Jesus is not saying that you don't have enough faith. Jesus is saying you, you have a little faith. Uh, it's a faith that's not of sufficient quality. It's, the not, it's, not, the, it's not the right kind of faith. And, and Jesus is trying to prescribe a better way. He says, listen, your life is not just about your body and food and drink and clothing. Listen, uh, look at the birds of the air and look at the lilies. I, I take care of them. Not one thing will happen to them that's outside of God's plans and purposes. Th that ought to be obvious as we look at creation around us, that, that not even one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the knowledge and plans of the Father. And so in the same way, God will not allow anything to happen in the life of his children that's outside of his plans. This virus cannot affect our lives in any way that's outside of God's plans and purposes. I think that's part of what Jesus means then when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of all of these things, food and clothing and the body and eating and drinking will go all of it exactly according to his plans. We don't need to be consumed with this life here and now. We need to be concerned with seeking God's kingdom seeking his righteousness. So that would be my encouragement for you. And that's why then Jesus makes the statement in chapter 6. He says this uh, in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If we live our lives consumed with this life and the here and now, that's the way that virtual pagans live, that Gentile, godless people live their life as if this life here and now is most important. But Jesus wants us to be people that are consumed with him and his righteousness. So if you were to take inventory of your life, your time, your energy, the things that, that cause you fear. A few weeks ago when we went through this, I asked you to try to think about your life in terms of what do you value? What's important to you? Would it be obvious to you if, if someone were to look at the last two years of your life and they were to record all of it, the way you spent your time, the way you spent your money, the things that consumed your heart from an anxious worry standpoint, 
Would it be obvious to anyone who was watching that Jesus and his kingdom and his plans and his purposes are the most important thing in your life? That that's what you're seeking first? What does that mean for us to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first his righteousness? Do you seek that first? I'm afraid that too many of us don't want to seek first the kingdom of God. This is, this is the idea that, it, that God's kingdom is first in order of priority. I'm afraid that too many of us are trying to think in terms of, well, how much is enough to seek God? I mean, if I'm, if I'm faithful to church on Sundays and I'm faithful to spend some time in the Bible, can I then live the rest of my life the way that I want? And rather than seeking God first, we're trying to say, how much do I need to seek to make sure that my sins are forgiven, to make sure that I make it in at Judgment Day? And Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount is, that doesn't work. He, he was already dealing with the hearts of scribes and Pharisees who were trying to show that they, out of their own efforts, had categorized the importance of God's kingdoms right. And Jesus was saying, no, there's no partial half-hearted, you cannot build your own kingdom here on this earth and then somehow include enough of God to make it in. Jesus' point was that, that exclusively his followers needed to be devoted to the God's kingdom and his righteousness. My fear is that too many of us think of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as if, as if we get too serious or too radical about the Christian life that that's just going to spell heartache or God is going to, you know what, if I'm too serious about God, then he'll make me become a, a missionary in Africa or God will make me become a pastor or something like that. Well, there's a couple of really hurtful misunderstandings in, in all of that. You see, if you're going through life thinking Sundays are when I need to be devoted to God and his programs and purposes, but, but what I do for a living or the job that I'm doing or the career that I have or the plans that I have, those are all teens. If you're thinking about your future saying, uh-oh, if I'm serious about seeking God and his righteousness, then and I'm going to end up having to go to a Bible college, and, and I won't be able to pursue the career that I want. That, that's a totally wrong way of thinking about it. Um, it's not just that full-time Christian uh, pastors and missionaries and others are the only ones who are seeking God's kingdom, and the rest of the employed world is seeking their own kingdom. I'm afraid we haven't thought enough about the concept of vocation and that Christians can use their gifts and talents and abilities to bring God honor and glory in the workplace, regardless of whether or not they're a pastor or whether or not they're a missionary. You, as uh, in in the workplace that God has called you to, in the career that God has given you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be, you can and should be using that to seek first the kingdom of God. You see, it's not just the people who are paid by churches who seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus' point is that it's the followers of God who seek first the kingdom of God. And so it could be that you need to spend a lot more time thinking about where, where uh, so many of your hours go throughout your day and life and week in terms of your career. How do you use that to seek first the kingdom of God? Because otherwise you're going to be in this 
complicated, uncomfortable tension of always trying to figure out when have I done enough at church and then my job and the rest of my life gets to be used for me. And that's not, there's not this sacred and secular divide in the Christian life. All of it belongs to God. All of it should be worship. All of it should be used for seeking first the kingdom of God. Because otherwise, when we just try to have enough Christianity that then we get to hang on to our life and what we eat and drink and wear, these things are going to weigh heavy on our hearts when we begin to lose them or when we begin to fear that they are threatened. And that's where um, anxieties will set in that Jesus is saying, don't worry about this stuff. That's what the pagans do. That's what Gentiles do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And that's how we need to be living our lives. There's a very helpful quote from a man named John Stott. And he says this, Christians should be eager to develop their gifts, widen their opportunities, extend their influence, and be given promotion in their work. Not now to boost their own ego or build their own empire, but rather through everything they do to bring glory to God. This is the supreme good which we are to seek first. There is no other. Brothers and sisters, our, our calling as Christians is not to get caught up in the here and now of this life. And it's certainly not to get, up, to get caught up in tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Uh, there'll be plenty of troubles tomorrow. Today, our job is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what ought to occupy our hearts. That's where our devotion ought to be centered on. When we get too much of the wrong stuff in there, it causes all kinds of anxious fear and anxiety because frankly, we're worried that we can't hang on to that which what God didn't want us to hang on to in the first place. In these moments of anxiousness, as we go through this time of global pandemic, would, would our anxious fears cause us, rather than fearing for things that are out of our control, would we run to the one who is in control? Would it motivate us to say, God, you're my treasure. You're what I value. Help me to trust you rather than being fearful of, of these things that I might lose. Parents, for us, as we work with our children, especially as we get to observe the anxieties of our children, whether they be young or in high school, wherever it might be, what patterns are we setting for our children to show them what's important? Are we pushing them to drive and excel in things that are in the categories of food and drink and clothing? Um, are, are we heaping anxiousness onto our kids because we're pushing them to excel in the things of the here and now of this life? Or are we teaching them that it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness that ought to come first. They, our kids will quickly notice what we find important as parents and, and what we're modeling for them that they need to find important in their life. Let's be people who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we can't serve both God and stuff. I hope there's encouragement in this for you as we go through this together as a church. Father, we thank you for who you are. We are thankful that you, as the one true good God, as the one who was the supreme king, sent your son to this earth 
to redeem humanity, to provide a payment for sins so that we could have our, a right relationship with you, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought into right relationship with you. Father, may we keep that, your righteousness and your kingdom of supreme worth in our lives. May we not try to live for this life, the body and the clothing and what we eat and drink. May we not think that this life is so important that it causes us anxiety when it begins to slip out of our control or when it is threatened. May you and your kingdom and your righteousness be so supremely valuable to us that it gives us peace, even in times of trouble, knowing that you have this life firmly in your control. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.